Welcome to She Talks, a thought-provoking and empowering opinion campaign that allows women to express their unique perspectives on current affairs, social issues, and political matters. We hope with this campaign to amplify women's voices, foster open dialogue, and encourage critical thinking amongst our audience. everyone. For our first episode, we are going to be speaking with Shalape Shonuga. Shalape Shonuga is a professional with a strong commitment to international development and policy with areas of specialization, including project management, resource mobilization, public policy, research, legislation, and human capital development. She's going to be speaking with us today on the cost of excluding women from political leadership and how it's being done, why it's being done, the factors and, you know, what this is costing us in our legislation. So Sholape, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really, really thrilled to have you here. And yeah, looking forward to an exciting conversation. Thank you very much for that very warm introduction, Chiamaka. I'm really excited to, to be here speaking with you on this very important topic. And I look forward to how the conversation is going to go. Awesome. Same here, same here, same here. Yeah, so I'm going to ask you personally to give, you know, I've already told everyone about the introduction, but I would like you to tell us a brief explanation of what you do from you, like who is Sholape Shonuga and the impact of what you do on women intending to go into politics. Wow. <laughs> Imagine someone asking you to, to explain yourself in just a few minutes. Where do I actually start from? Um, but I think that you've, you know, you've summarized you know, basically my background and the line of work that I do. So I work within the development space. But more specifically, I work promoting inclusion of women, inclusion of youth in political leadership and public life. Currently, I am the program policy and strategic partnerships manager at ELECTA. ELECTA is a women-led non-governmental organization, not-for-profit organization that is advancing the inclusion and representation of women in political and economic leadership in Nigeria and across Africa. So basically what that just means is that in, in my day-to-day -day and in the work that I do, I'm leading initiatives, I am driving the inclusion of women in political leadership and public life in Nigeria. So that just means working with, you know, elected officials, working on, on advocacy initiatives, research, resource mobilization, and basically in every sense of the word, trying to drive the inclusion of women in, in political leadership and public life in Nigeria and across Africa. Oh, that's, that's a mouthful. <laughs> it sounds like something so... Honestly, you, you are definitely killing it at what you do. And I'm honestly proud that I know someone that is really pushing the fight for inclusion of women in politics. I know there are a lot of places that women are still struggling to have more representation, but women in politics is a kicker because, I mean, this is what defines the laws of the country. This is what defines the way we live, the way we move, the, the, the cost of living, ETC. And one of the events that really reminded me of how gross the underrepresentation of women is in Nigeria is was the 2023 elections. Yet again, we did not see any woman that was able to successfully campaign for presidency or vice presidency. Neither did we, we saw one for governorship, but we all know how that one turned out. But that's just from a spectator's point of view. I would like to speak with you more on, you know, what was your work like when you're working with these women? 
in the 2023 elections basically what were your observations what were what was their performance and what lessons did you learn from that thank you for that question that's that's a very loaded question i would say and i think i'll start by just first of all piggybacking of what you've said around the fact that women are underserved and underrepresented in various spheres economically you know in the entrepreneurship space in the venture capital space in the business space women are underserved everywhere but the way i like to look at it is that if women are better economic and um, politically empowered and women are put in political leadership positions then they will be able to drive the inclusion of women in all other spheres of of life you know in nigeria and across africa so i feel like i just wanted to put that out there because women are definitely underserved everywhere now imagine if a woman was actually creating policies and driving policy implementation mm-hmm. imagine the world of good that it would do for women everywhere and i think that's one of the reasons why i i started my work at elector so the road to 2023 didn't start of course in 2023 before i i started my work at elector before you know the whole social impact shalakwe there was a shalakwe that was working within government so i used to work at the legislature mm-hmm. and one of the things or one of the projects that i was privileged to work on while i was within the legislature was called the paving the path initiative and basically it was a platform where women of all ages women that have run for elections women that were currently serving and women that wanted to run for elections came together to share kind of their experiences the difficulties that they were facing and to basically pave the path towards the 2023 elections mm-hmm. and what something that was very evident from that particular initiative and that particular event and those conversations that were had was the fact that women were not going to have it easy in 2023 elections and so from 2021 which is when this this um this platform um convened it was very obvious that women were going to have to work extra hard to even see small gains you know in political leadership and a lot of things were done leading up to 2023 elections besides of course this initiative that um that I was privileged to be a part of and mm-hmm. of course one of the key things was was the attempt at legislating to ensure that women are better served but we found that a lot of these things that we tried to do fell flat and they didn't work and so by the time it was it was the primary elections ahead of you know the 2023 elections it was 2022 the primaries were ongoing out of 18 presidential candidates that emerged there was one woman who even later stepped down yeah. so one woman out of 17 male counterparts for the vice presidency no woman you know even emerged as a candidate from the primaries but there were 18 male candidates that made it through the primaries for the vice presidential candidates if you come down to the national national assembly level um on the senatorial level there were 1008 men that that made it as candidates but only 92 women made it as candidates just even coming outside of the primaries and in the house of representatives there were um 288 women with about 2000 plus men on the governorship side there were 25 um 25 women you know running for office thousands of men deputy governorship as well 122 women like about 3000 plus men running for office and so only 1553 women ended up running in this election in the 2023 election both on the presidential level and on the gubernatorial level and when you compare that to the number of men that were actually running that was that's the first red flag that's you know that we had but even when you look at after the elections you would think that okay 1500 plus women are running how many women actually won at the at the polls only 72 women won at the polls and so these are these are some of the alarming things that that is the reality of women in Nigeria because in the national assembly out of 360 house of representative members there are um 16 women out of um 
109 senators there are four women in the state house of assembly out of 1000 plus members across the 36 states in nigeria there's only 46 women there's six deputy governors but no female governors and only and only and um only six deputy governors and 30 of their male counterparts um for the governorship level there's no representative in the presidency you know in terms of elected officials there's no women and so these are the statistics these are the numbers and like like people love to say the numbers the numbers don't lie and even if you look at the continental level currently nigeria ranks 54 out of 54 african countries in terms of women's representation in parliament and so if we are literally the last position in africa then everybody is is doing something that we or everybody has noticed something that we haven't seemed to catch up on and i think it's it's time that we we start to catch up on these things and um and realize that there's there's a problem that we need to fix i think i've answered all your questions i'm not 100 percent sure i think i just i just started talking and, and now i've forgotten you asked but i hope that answers the question no, no I, honestly i didn't want to kill the flu <laughs> i think that was that was brilliant but i think i would like to also make it a little bit more personal seeing that you also work with a cso that um basically i, I don't want to use the word grooms i don't know if grooms is the right word but you know helps women to develop themselves to be formidable political opponents or political um mm. you know candidates in terms of elections and all whatnot so I, I would like to also hear from you like your own side of things like working with these women uh -huh. what were the experiences that you got firsthand from just seeing them trying to run for these elections and what was what was their performance did they even win anything at all or was it just i don't know did they did, did they lose their elections hmm okay um Thank you for bringing me back. I remember that you asked me this question initially. Um, so I think that working with um, working with with female politicians, um, I think that the first thing that you spot is that you know that saying, "What a man can do, a woman can do better." I stand by it with my full chest. Mm. Nobody can tell me otherwise. That is the reality, because you'd see women that have you know, little children, women that are, are still championing their homes, women that are taking care of so many things, women that have businesses, but yet they're still coming out and they're still, you know, fighting the fight and still somewhat thriving in political leadership. And um, with with my work at Electa, I was able to, to watch this, you know, firsthand. I was able to have a front row seat to seeing the realities that women face to mm -hmm. seeing the challenges of actually running for office as a woman in Nigeria and to seeing some of them lose, but also seeing some of them win. Um, leading up to 2023, Elector um, had a campaign called the Agenda 35 campaign, which supported um, some selected women. Um, it was a non-partisan campaign that supported women that were running for office. And so this included um, resource mobilization, building agency, um, human capital development, and, and that sort of thing. And of these eight women that ELECT has supported, three of them were able to, to win the elections. So we have three of them currently um, sitting in the state houses of, um, houses of assembly. Are you allowed to say your names? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, of course, I'm not saying that, you know, Electa support was the only organization that supported them. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, definitely they were one of the Agenda 35 candidates. Um, we have um, um, Munirat, Honorable Munirat. Mm -hmm. She is um, the, currently the majority leader in the Kaduna State House of Assembly, which is huge. Um we have um, Honorable Rukaya Chitu. I think everybody knows you know Rukaya Chitu. She's yes. some sort of a household name because of how young she is. Um, she's mm -hmm. the youngest legislator um, in Nigeria. Um, mm -hmm. She was one of the, 30, the 35 candidates. And then the last is Honorable um, Marilyn Okoa, who is um, a member of the Edo State 
House of Assembly. So these these are some of the women that emerged victorious, you know, um, in at the polls. Of course, there mm-hmm. were other women that ran as well, but didn't win. But they also put up a good fight. There were there were some of them that had such um, such deep challenges, and it, it it makes you think about the issues that women face, the soft issues that women face that nobody actually talks about because. There's, everybody speaks about, you know, campaign financing, for instance, or people speak about um, physical violence against women. But mm-hmm. who thinks about the fam- the familial barriers and the fact that some women don't have that backing from not just their, you know, immediate family, but their extended family, which goes sometimes goes to the point of disownment, saying that if you if you say you want to run for office, we're going to disown you. You can't use our family name anymore. That is really, really insane. There's other people that face challenges with indigenship, which is one of the bills that um, that we had tried to fix last year, the National Assembly level, where the woman wants to run from where she's from. And they say, you've gotten married. Go and meet your husband. You're not one of us anymore. And then she goes to run from where her husband is from. And then they say, oh, you're not an indigenous of this place. We don't know you from anywhere. You just married into this place go back to your hometown and go and run for office there if you want to run. Men don't have these issues, but many women are faced with these issues. So I think that um, observing this thing firsthand, I think it has, you know, it has changed um, the way I see politics, the way I see women in politics. And of course, the way that myself and a lot of people within the social impact and civil society space see um, interventions moving forward a lot of work needs to be done on the political party level and i think that when we're ready to start the conversation about the issues within the political party level then we might actually be ready to make progress within um within you know this this movement of increasing and promoting women's political leadership in nigeria fantastic thank you so much this was like the answer i was looking for um, but I was a bit shocked at some things, right? I think when you were mentioning about the familial familial barriers towards um, exclusion of women in politics, right? And I want to mm-hmm. ask, like, what exactly are like the common reasons for their families not wanting them to be in politics? Um, are they afraid that they won't be able to give them any more attention or time? Like, what exactly are their reasons? I think that there's no um, one-size-fits-all for this sort of thing. I think that's the first thing. When it comes to um, to people's personal beliefs and personal, you know, um, um, driving motivators, there's no one-size-fits-all. But I do know that this is something that, you know, more than two, three, four women have faced. And I think from my own personal experience that the first and the, 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 the largest contributor to this is, is the sociocultural norms. Mm-hmm. So um, I feel like every family, except from if your family is like the most progressive family in the world, kudos to you. But every family has an uncle that would beat his chest and say, like women are, are meant to be in the kitchen. Like mm-hmm. what? What is she doing working? What is she doing running for office and whatnot? And there's some people like that that no matter what you say, no matter how much you convince, no matter how much reasoning you you bring to the table, no matter how much you argue, this person will die on the hill that a woman's a woman's role is you know taking care of the family and saving away in the kitchen, mm-hmm. and they would bring up you know their own documents and their own proof to back up their claims and even when you say actually like what you're saying is not making sense it's not starting to to even feel like you are the problem if you keep prodding and everybody's like okay can you just allow it to rest like just leave this person alone to to his own beliefs and to his own you know way of life and to his own thoughts um it's not your family you can just you know it's not your it's not your um immediate family anyways probably some extended family uncle somewhere and you find that this is more common within the larger and wider nigerian context i say this a lot to my friends that 
you would think that everybody thinks like you but just because we had the privilege of education and exposure doesn't mean that a lot of people you know have had that same privilege to be able to look at things the way you would look at things in an objective way some people are very very set in their ways and there's a lot that you know people would have to do to to take it forward mm, mm. okay okay so basically yeah, so, okay yeah i think i was just rounding up there and just just saying that of course it's not just the social cultural norms some people would have their reasons for you know sticking to their guns and think that you know members of their family shouldn't be in politics some people can say that it's dangerous for you to be in politics and we don't want anything to happen to you and you know they'll stand by by that decision that they've made so it's it's various things but i would say that the major contributing factor is social um social cultural norms okay fantastic fantastic and i think it's it's just i think it's just really sad because we kind of like i don't know year after year we just keep on discussing about the same issues regarding if a woman is or isn't meant to be in the kitchen and it's really sad to see how that has affected so many areas of life in business in politics um and i don't know when we can ever get rid of this you know this idea or this ideal that of this mindset right but i believe that hopefully with more women like you with more cso's like yours coming up to um you know protest and fight against different injustices i believe that we can definitely counter this right um so i think i would like to go into the area of gender policy because i can't say that there hasn't been any moves done towards making sure that women have are actively involved in politics and are being able to in, to being able to participate in politics, right? Um, particularly worthy of note is affirmative action, right? Which has been, um, was beaten down several times. I know it started like around 2017, if I'm not mistaken, right? The move for affirmative action started around 2017, um, got rejected a few times in the Senate. Um, but if I'm also not mistaken, it was accepted again, but I'm not sure that any of the i'm not sure that this policy is being enforced right so with your experience i'd like to understand like what exactly is this blocker you know someone that is working in this year so what exactly is the blocker concerning affirmative action in nigeria why is this why is this such a hard thing to even carry out or enforce so i think affirmative action is is a fantastic thing right and for context we all know that affirmative action is is i think other another word or another way to put affirmative action is positive discrimination in in the sense that when people are being underserved there are certain policies that are put in place to ensure that those people are better served um and in the within the nigerian context there is there's a national gender policy there is, you know, um, a couple of gender frameworks that Nigeria has has committed to and, you know, si um, committed to implementing within Nigeria. And within our national gender policy, we have a 35% um, quota for women saying that, you know, in every sphere of, of things, there should be at least 35% women's representation. But unfortunately, that's not reflective of the society that we live in and has not been reflected for quite a while and i would i would draw our minds back i feel like everybody within the civil society space knows about what happened in march 2022 and um, for those that are not in the civil society space march 2022 march generally is international women's month and in the year 2022 five gender-centric bills were um, laid before the National Assembly um, to promote, you know, women's representation and just to better serve women in Nigeria, you know, as a whole. And one of those, one of those bills was the was the reserve seats bill for women, trying to create more seats within the National Assembly for women, so that there's better representation for women in political leadership. 
Well, quite unfortunately, on the first day of the of, of March in 2022, all five of those bills that were positioned before the House, including the reserve seats bill, all five of those bills were rejected. Um, and it was it was really a, a sad day, I think, for women all over Nigeria. And I remember that I was I was sitting, you know, I was watching the plenary that day. The, um, the vice president's wife was there. The minister of women's affairs was there. There were tons of women, you know, in the in the plenary sitting that day. They had marched from the gate of the national assembly, and they had come in. And, you know, they were they were pleading to they were pleading um, with the national assembly members in the House of Representatives that day, and they said, "Please, can you just pass at least one of these bills?" And the speaker of the House of Representatives tried as well he also pleaded um on behalf you know of the women and said to the members of the national assembly that please you know would you actually pass these bills but the the national assembly which is male dominated was adamant and refused to pass any of the bills including the um reserved seats bill and this was a bill that would have ensured that there's legal frameworks and legislative backing to ensure that women, you know, are better represented in political leadership in Nigeria. And from that experience alone, I feel like I've learned so much about why affirmative action has not been yielding positive results in Nigeria and why there's so much pushback for affirmative action. And with interaction with stakeholders on all levels including you know within the national assembly we find that um of course back to these social cultural norms where a certain um a huge you know part of the of the national assembly or, or the population actually believes that women should not be leaders or women should not be in the national assembly another set of of the male-dominated National Assembly is of the opinion that if women are allowed to come in or if, you know, these seats are created for the women, where would his own seats go? So it's like, okay, even if you, we say that you can come and, you know, be a member of the National Assembly or come and, you know, be a leader and whatnot, whose seat do you want to take? Is it my seat that you want to take so it's kind of like being protective of a space that they've dominated you know for for so long and there's so many um discriminatory practices and deeply um deeply ingrained patriarchal structures um within not just the nigerian system but within the government framework um that have enabled um you know, this sort of behavior to go on for this long. Um, so affirmative action is is definitely something that I believe that we need as, as a country in order to move forward. Legislative backing um, kind, of, kind of forces the hand of some of these people that have these deeply ingrained patriarchal mindsets. And until we, I feel like until we embrace some sort of affirmative action then um i don't think that we would see the gains that we want to see as much as possible so now there's a lot of conversations going on within the space to ensure that there's some sort of affirmative action passed within the legislature so whether it's the reserve seats bill or some sort of temporary special measures but i know that there's a lot of conversations and um, hopefully, you know, before the next election, some sort of affirmative action will be in place, um, you know, with legal and legislative backing to support women's representation. It's it's quite sad that some of um, the country's most brilliant minds, um, quote and unquote, are still of the opinion that women are not meant to be in political power. Um, I think that's that's like the most heartbreaking thing that I heard from your conversation. And it's it's really mind-blowing. And I just want to ask, is it every single man in the National Assembly that feels this way? Um, aren't there like some influential sects of people in that, in that space, in that assembly that feel passionately for women's representation in politics and are fighting tooth and nail to get it? 
because it, there's only so much that CSOs and there's only so much that citizens can do. But are there any, you know, members that are actively in the assembly that are actively pushing for this? So I would say that definitely there's some he for she's within the National Assembly that, you know, would support um, women's representation and increased um, women's, um, women's, um, women's inclusion in political leadership. And honestly, that's something that, um, that our work at Electa is looking at very closely now, um, allyship. So a lot of the time, or previously, I would say that it's it's been very much a me against you kind of fight and there's something that um the ceo of lecta um, usually says she says more organizing and less agonizing mm -hmm. in the sense of we don't want to carry we don't want to carry placards and demand for our rights we want to sit at the table and negotiate for our rights and and organize you know, advocacy around these things and negotiate and say, you know, this is what we want. And we hear from them, okay, these are your concerns. And we come to a compromise. Um, during the elections, we had an, um, we were privileged to, um, to have an audience with the, um, with the former president of, of Malawi, um, President Joyce mm -hmm. Banda. And President Joyce Banda was saying that how come Nigeria has still not passed a law that says that women should, you know, be better represented in political leadership. And she gave an example of um, of Malawi, where they didn't have um, a law like that as well. And when they wanted to pass the law, it was also rejected within their National Assembly. And they did some digging, and they found out that the men rejected the law because a bunch of it said, or, or huge parts of, of the act that was proposed said gender equality. And, you know, they're explaining that, you know, gender equality doesn't mean, um, doesn't mean that, you know, women are better or whatever it is, even though perhaps women are better, but trying to explain to, to a man with such a patriarchal and, um, and deeply rooted, mindset in the fact that a man and a woman are not supposed to be equal and so they recognize that if they use the nomenclature gender equality in their um in their phrasing of their of their bill or their act that bill would not pass no matter what they did no matter how much advocacy no matter how much you know they they um they engage citizens, no matter what they did, the bill would not have passed because their male-dominated National Assembly looked at the word gender equality and said, "Under, not under my roof, over my dead body, will a woman be equal to me? And so they used that to their advantage. They identified their challenges and they said, okay, let's rephrase some of the things here and you know, use different languaging. And so they removed some clauses from the act they tweaked some things here and there, and that law eventually passed. It was not the same piece of legislation that they had proposed. It wasn't, you know, exactly what they wanted. But for them, it was, they would rather have half a slice of cake than have no cake mm -hmm. at all. And that has worked for them because now there's increased women's representation in their own political leadership. So I think that those are the kind of approaches that we would need to explore as, um, as a whole moving forward and going into this new electoral cycle that is starting in our pursuits for affirmative action and in our pursuits for temporary special measures. If we find that there's something particular that is putting off the majority of the National Assembly, there are some things that we can revisit and say, okay, this isn't working. What can work? As opposed to saying, this is the act and this is the act, this is what we want to pass. At the end of the day, is a negotiation. You give, you take. They are the ones in power, so we would just need to be able to negotiate with them and determine um, what can what can move, what what might not be able to move in order to get the results that we want mm. to see. Mm. 
Okay, so if I understand you properly, that means you're saying that um, sometimes the phrasing of these bills could be a blocker for these men to um, assent to the bills, right? Or rather, agree on these bills. Um, perhaps that could be that could be one of the issues. Um, I'm not saying for sure that that was the issue in Nigeria. But I'm saying that um, given the experience of another country, it's something that, um, that is worth looking into. And even from some of the personal conversations that I've had and some of the general stakeholder engagements that I've been involved in, we do see that languaging and positioning does matter in the, in the grand scheme of things. People are more comfortable when they don't see things like equality. Um, I went for I went for um, for an advocacy drive in in Kano, advocating for one of the reports that Elector published. And something that I heard a lot um, in Kano, which is the case for some cases in the north, is that according to religious practices there women are not allowed to be mm. leaders and women are not allowed to be equal to, to a man. And so anything that positions a woman as a leader or anything that says that this, you know, we want to give woman, the woman an equal opportunity is immediately turned down. They don't want to hear about the benefits. They don't want to hear about how it will impact their lives or the lives of women and children. They, will, they don't want to hear about how it would, it would benefit Nigeria and ensure that there is better socioeconomic development, that's not their business. What is their business is that they've heard equality, which is against their religious dictates. They've heard leadership for women, which is against their religious dictates. And so um, a lot of advocacy in the North is also tailored not just to the citizens, but also to the religious leaders, explaining to them that this and this and this is actually the reality. So you saying yes to this is actually not you going against your religious beliefs. And so if their religious leaders buy in and are able to pass down the information in a way that they're able to understand, it's, it's better behavioral change communications. So being able to, to communicate in a way that is that the person that you are that you are speaking to would easily assimilate and understand i think is something that we would need to focus on because for the most part a lot of people are speaking but who is actually listening mm -hmm. um being able to speak the other party listens understands and then you know there's like a compromise or there's there's impact or action that is the goal mm -hmm. Um, some things you mentioned here, um, I think it's, it made me to realize that there are nuances regarding these things, right? Particularly for different regions, like how you said that in the North, um, this is how they specifically treat women who are um, entering politics, right? Those are their own blockers. So I want to ask if there are like other blockers for other regions as well. So take, for instance, places like the east do they have their own nuances in Igbo in Igbo states or Yoruba states or you know are there like any specific cultural nuances that you've noticed so definitely i would say that there are some cultural nuances that i've noticed um i wouldn't say specific to you know the southwest or the southeast um because i haven't done any grassroots work mm -hmm you know, in the in the southeast. I haven't, you know, been to any of these states and interacted with the women at the grassroots level there. But I would say that, um, you know, I mentioned that there's some there's a candidate or some one or two candidates that had issues with their familial um um backing. Mm -hmm. They were from the south. So any I think most instances that I've seen where it's like the woman is able to run, but her family kind of shuns her. Those those were from women from the South, in my own experience. I feel like other people might have had different or varying experiences from this. But um, these are some of the challenges that um, that I've, I've noticed within the South. So 
for, for the South, I would say perhaps there isn't that familial backing for some women, or perhaps the legislators are saying, well, you want to run for office, but whose seat are you going to take? So it's not, it might not be a religious thing for them, but it might be a territorial thing for them. And I've also noticed that patriarchy doesn't know a geopolitical zone, especially in Nigeria and, and also across Africa. Um, I know that we're speaking a lot to the Nigerian context, but even when you speak with people across the continent of Africa, you see that we have very similar experiences in terms of getting women elected into political leadership. And most African countries that have even been able to um, get higher numbers of women will tell you that it's only through legislation. If they left it to, you know, just um, the men making room for the women, it was never going to happen. So definitely um, different zones have their own specific um, nuances, but I would say that patriarchy doesn't know any zone and that's, that's one of the biggest challenges. Whew. I, I think I'm just disappointed because I was expecting that we would hear something more specific, right? But then it's like the same old thing all over again of just having to change our mindsets towards the way women are portrayed, right? Um, but I, I do have a question, right? Do women, like, are women even interested in politics at all? Like, given the social, cultural um, norms and mindsets and stereotypes and all whatnot, like, are they even interested at all in running? Like, when you think, when women naturally think of... Um, career paths you know in your discussions and all of that are they actually thinking oh i want to be the next president i want to be the next vp or senator or governor like mm -hmm. do they have political aspirations i would say that definitely yes absolutely yes women have political aspirations and i think let me even i think first of all i'll take it all the way back to when we were little when we were you know, in primary school, before um, anybody had the opportunity to to mold our our narratives or to shape our norms and our um, you know societal values, men and women would always aspire to be presidents of their countries. So a, a girl can say, "I want to be president of Nigeria." A boy can say, "I want to be president of Nigeria." At that point in time, there is no aspiration that is too big or too small, and there is nothing that is constrained to one gender or constrained to um, to what is the preconceived notion of a woman or a man. So that's that's the first thing, and so you find that when when people start getting older, that's when that's when they start to see the limitations. Or when they start to hear the narratives that oh a woman's role is this so a woman is supposed to do this or a man is supposed to do that um, and when society begins to inflict upon them the norms that they have also been inflicted on by the society before or the generations beforehand and even with these issues and with these um, you know preconceived notions or with these you know, boxes that people or different genders are being forced, forcefully put into. We still find women that want to be, you know, um, in political leadership. If you look at the structure of a political party, um, there is women leader, which, you know, women usually are, of course. There's also mm -hmm. treasurer or maybe financial secretary, which is more often than not also a, a woman's position. But the leader of the party, the chairman of the party, the national chair, or the zonal chair is usually a man. But if you look at the people that are actively participating in the political party activities, that are at the grassroots, that are mobilizing, that are doing a lot of the heavy, heavy duty work for the political parties, is the women. The women are more active in political parties than the men from conversations that I've had and from, you know, things that I've seen. And if 
women are more active in that sense it means they are interested they just don't have a platform to take up their interest and women are most definitely um, interested in these things sometimes all a woman needs is a platform or a little push and and whatnot and then also looking at another dimension of things there's the economic dimension which we started looking a lot more at at elector actually which mm -hmm. in the sense that a woman needs to be economically empowered before she can even say that she wants to be able to run for office because running for office is expensive and there's only so much that you know certain hand-me-downs can take you but there's a huge economic gap you know within our context in the sense that men are more economically empowered than women even throwing it back all the way to to basic education we find that 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 out of the millions of out of school children 60 to 65 percent of these out of school children are women and so if from the very start of life children or young girls are already discriminated against in terms of getting an education that will help them to have a way of living that would help them to be economically empowered that will help the ones that want to run for office run for office then there's a huge disconnect in our society and so um this is why we say that more women in political leadership would help things in the grand scheme because in in developed countries we find that research shows that when women are better included in political leadership it shows in the in the type of laws and policies that are prioritized and passed and there's more um there's more um social cultural there's more socioeconomic development and there's more human capital development and so um in summary what i've said is that in terms of basic education, a, a girl child is discriminated against. That girl child that should have had a basic education that will help her, you know, have a way of living has already been relegated to the side from her childhood. But in in an ideal world, that, that girl child would have had an education, gone on to have a way of life or a way of living, gone on to be economically empowered, gone on to 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 drive herself you know and um and perhaps even other women into um, a position where they can contest for elections when they can participate in political leadership because they have the means and not because somebody is sponsoring them or because they have you know some sort of godfather somewhere and and thus there's there's a vicious cycle of of the fact that from girlhood from childhood women are disenfranchised and that then translates to, to adulthood. So basically women are interested, but there are multiple barriers that, that hold them back from the very start of their lives up until when they're adults and actually want to run for office. Wow, okay. Um, I think you mentioned something like really, really important, which is always the important thing in this case, money, right? um economic empowerment for women in politics right how how are you know how is this being managed because this isn't a thing of the national assembly now or legislature in general like this is this is a more of a social problem right so i would ask like how are women like tackling this issue of um campaign financing when it comes to politics Hmm. The issue of campaign financing, I would say that I'm not even 100% certain how, how, how women are tackling this issue. Um, it's very expensive to run for office. For even a man, you know, or a woman or whatever the case may be, it's, it's very expensive to, to run for office, notwithstanding, um, you know, your gender. And for a demographic of the society or the population that is underserved in, in every sense of it, it's, it's even, you know, more of a financial strain to run for office. Um, I know that there's certain, you know, support platforms like Elector, Elector, 
um, in the last election supported you know women did fundraising with Whisker and Chimamanda Adichie and all of that but there is only so far that that this this um, this sort of crowdfunding or um, um, financing can go and I would say that for women to be able to play on the same or perform on the same playing field in terms of finances um, that they should, I would say that it has to start from economic empowerment. Um, a woman can't pull out of pocket what she doesn't have. The same way a man can't pull out of pocket what she doesn't have. So trying to, to level the playing field for, for women and men so that at least women are better economically empowered, I think would go a long way. It would also help if government, you know, plays a better role in identifying that women need, you know, um, economic empowerment. So what percentage of the budget is going towards women's economic empowerment? Um, what, what, what percentage of, um, of any initiative, if it's, you know, if it's agriculture that that the government is 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 um, pumping funds into, if it's um, mm -hmm. human capital development, what percentage of the of of the of the recipients of these kinds of funds is going to women? Is it you know the fact that ninety percent of these will be for men and ten percent for women? That sort of thing. I it's not something that is going to happen overnight, definitely, and it's not something that crowdfunding would be able to solve. Women need to be economically empowered in in every in every sense of the word to be able to to play, you know, on that same level playing ground that men play in terms of campaign financing. Mm. Mm. But you know, I I don't want to use certain words, but we're already like if like taking it away from politics, right? Um, there are so few women, like the gaps, like the gender. Um, parity right between men and women in certain playing fields in tech right in healthcare you know it's it's really astonishing right it's very significant so in all these things like it affects a woman's um earning power right and you can only help but wonder how exactly is it that you know these women are going to be able to be economically empowered because i mean in other sectors it's not going well for them either so how are they now going to get this financing or are there loans i don't even know like how how exactly can you know more practical ways because we know that there are just so many gaps everywhere especially in the earning power between men and women so how can we ensure that yes practically women can be empowered enough to be able to finance their own campaigns mm. so i i like what you've done here and it's kind of like creates a bigger picture of the problem so when we talk about you know women's inclusion and women's political participation and women's representation a lot of people say oh okay here you guys come again come, come talk about the same things over and over again but we keep talking about these things because they're cross-cutting. And when you start to think about various nuances and you think about the gravity of the situation and how much it impacts basically the way of life of more than half of the population, you kind of think, where do I, where do I even start from here? Like, how do I even go about it? How do we actually tackle this issue? What can we do to make it better? Um, and I think I'll take it back to what I said at the beginning of the conversation. I think that the first thing I must say is that, of course, I, I don't know everything. Um, there's only so much that I can do within the limited um, scope of information, limited scope of power, limited scope of influence and, and whatnot that, that I have or that I've, I'm privy to or whatever the case may be. But what I do know is that if there's a wide group of of marginalized people and they have a representative within decision-making spheres that are speaking on their behalf and that are saying that this marginalized group like this is where the shoes are pinching 
this is where it's hurting then the people around the table will be able to create solutions to the problems that these people are facing so basically what i'm saying is that for women to be better served women need to be represented at the helms of power where decisions are making for people to be served it's literally a b c and the one plus one is equals to two there's only so much that a man will be able to do for a woman in terms of making decisions because he doesn't he has not walked in her shoes he doesn't know where her shoes hurt he doesn't know um the various nuances he doesn't know exactly what the problems are he could have an idea but even on that on that decision making table a woman's problem is probably not his priority his priority is not the fact that venture capital funds 96% of it goes to men and only 4% of it goes to women because it's 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 not his lived experience it's not something that he can relate to and people mm-hmm. are better at you know creating solutions for things that they can relate to and problems that they have faced and so for us to be able to see um gains in in all layers of society you know from healthcare to tech to entrepreneurship to business to agriculture for women women would have to be you know would have to have a seat on the table to be able to create enabling environments for women to thrive in these spaces that is i feel like that is that is the summary of things if there's no one you know therefore for us when decisions are being made then who is going to think about us everybody has their own issues that are driving them and so a random man from a random state he the forefront of his mind is not going to be oh my god how can how can i better better serve you know women how can i make you know funding available to 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 women and young children how can i ensure mm-hmm. that there's limited gender based violence of course there are some men that would do it but let's let's not like human beings are human beings and the reality is that people are only able to help so much for things that don't directly relate to them and so i feel mm-hmm. like for us to be able to see better gains in all ramifications and all spheres of society women will have to you know be in these decision making positions mm. Mm. Okay, thank you so much on that. I think, you know, we've talked so much about the blockers and now let's get practical. Let's get into solutions, right? So what would you say are, given with your experience in CSOs, right? What would you say are your practical solutions to even the playing field for Nigerian women in politics? Hmm. So um, practical solutions. I think that I always look at this, like I, I take a, a five-pronged approach to the solutions and I'm, I'm always talking about it. So I feel like having this five-pronged approach is, is super easy. The first thing is institutional support and legislative action. So we've, we've spoken about this a lot. If there is a law that states that so and so number of so and so available positions has to be women, whether they would manufacture the women, whether they will bring them from the villages, whether they will bring them from the cities, it has to be because it's a law. And when there is when there is a law, going against the law is is punishable. So jail time, fines, and whatnot. So if there is a law that says women have to have so and so number of you know, social and positions, then already a huge chunk of the problem is fixed. So I think the first thing is institutional support and policy reform. This is also political will because there will not be, you know, institutional support and policy reform if there's no political will. So a, a, a huge, you know, problem or a huge way to be lifted where there is political will enough to drive policy reform and then um, there is institutional support to pass this policy reform um, for us to be able to see gains. The second one is political parties. The political parties need to buy in, which is, I think, also political will because at the end of the day, political party people are politicians. But mm-hmm. even if there is a law 
that says you know women have to have social and so present of of the table if the political parties are not on board they could frustrate the process they could field you know people that at the end of the day it's like why did you even feel this person in the first place um political party is 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 the first point of contact for all these things and even if there is no policy reform and the political party leaders and the political party members are driving women's participation i think that we will definitely see an increase so on the political party level there needs to be buy-in and um reforms to drive you know gender inclusion and um and um, gender sensitive party structures um i think the next thing is the social cultural norms that we've been speaking about and i think that a a big thing that that needs to happen to target social cultural norms is behavioral change communications at the end of the day um if the people themselves don't buy into this vision that perhaps the the institutions and the political parties have bought into there's only so far you can go because there will still be you know blockages and barriers and so being able to condition the minds of people to understand that look a woman in political leadership is is not going to take anything out of your pocket in fact it might actually add quite a bit to your pocket being able to allow people to see that women in leadership doesn't circumvent or go against their religious beliefs being able to help people to understand that it's for the greater good and it's for you know the advancement of democracy and the advancement of the country for women to be in political leadership i think it's a huge thing so behavioral change communications being able to 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 change people from the inside out i think um i think is a huge is a huge step in the right direction also tied to behavioral change communications is is the media um and a lot of um a lot of communications around the media media is something that is consumed a lot and something that could drive behavioral change communications and so being able to ensure that the media is on board and their communications are indicative of the fact that they know that you know women's women's inclusion is for the greater good um but, but what what suggestions would you would you give to that like in terms of practical ways that the media could uplift women in their you know representations of them um so policy reform is one thing um i think it's it's a step in the right direction being able to put maybe regulations around um negative narratives and uncalled for narratives for women so like i said the media contributes to behavioral change communications because a lot of people consume um things from the media and so if the media um and so if the media is 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 on board and if there's regulations in place that say that you know you positioning this particular um this particular marginalized group in this particular light would attract penalty i don't think that the media would um would negatively um showcase women in the way that they sometimes do as as much mm-hmm. do you understand what i mean like in in the sense that if there's regulations if there's there's strict policies if there are frameworks that the media has to follow then i think the messaging would would change even if it's just in the slightest and that that would make a huge difference okay okay i think i interrupted you there so if there are like any more points yeah i would say that um another practical solution or the last practical solution is capacity building mentorship and mm-hmm. um financial mobilization and support and i think that these these three things go hand in hand so being able to build the capacity of women of all ages so that they're able to to at least level the playing field a little bit being able to mentor women that that come out and say that they want to run as opposed to them figuring it all out by themselves is is a good way to go mm-hmm. and being able to to create networks to help the ones that are 
that are actively seeking to be elected to have access mm-hmm. to the resources that they would need to to thrive you know um in these to to be at least to be elected and to thrive in these roles is very important so now we've established that women are not economically empowered as they should be but and we've also established that women women being elected could help socioeconomic development so what are the things that we can do right now to to mobilize resources for for the women that we see actually you know standing up to see that they want to be elected so these these three things i think are tied together and also a practical solution that we can we can take forward at least going into the next electoral cycle mm-hmm. all righty okay all right thank you so so much Sholape, for your insights into this very important discourse like i mean i'm sure that there are going to be women aspiring women out there in politics that would listen to this and thank you for just you know giving your insights on this so yeah we really appreciate you being on the podcast and you know we look forward to more collaborations thank you so much Sholape. thank you chiamaka for having me and for even thinking about, you know, having this conversation, I feel like more, um, you know, initiatives like this should should come up so that people are more aware of, of the issues. And I'm, I'm happy that you enjoyed the conversation. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Uh, so if, for everyone that is listening, um, this is our very first episode of She Talks. She Talks is an editorial campaign by Marie Claire Nigeria that is poised to bring about discourse on certain gender issues relating to um, politics, policy, and the economy, right? As well as social issues as well. So you can look forward to more of this. Um, and also you can stream anywhere on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, or is it now YouTube Music? <laughs> I, I heard that they've uh, merged into YouTube Music now, but you can listen to anywhere that you stream your, your podcast online. And yeah, stay tuned for another conversation. Thank you so much and see you soon.